Okay, welcome to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. I'm Kate Oda. I'm James Moore. And tonight we are going to be talking about A House Across the Lake by Riley Sager. It is a mystery thriller novel, and it's about this actress who's an alcoholic, and she's kind of hiding away at her family cabin on the lake when she notices some suspicious things happening at the house across the lake. And um, this is also shortly after her husband had passed away by drowning in the lake. Um, So spoiler alert, we'll be talking a lot about the details of this book. So if you haven't read it yet, pause, go and read it, and then come back and join us for the discussion. So this one was definitely one that took me by surprise. I really didn't know anything going into it. I thought it was just your standard mystery thriller. So uh, yeah, the the twists at the end kind of um, surprised me. So I'm curious to hear what you both thought of of this book. Well, I'll go first and uh, and say say that um, this was my first time. Well, not the very first time, but I, I decided to go with the audiobook option and because they had a free trial and um, they ended up charging me anyway. That's another story in another podcast. But um, I was expecting the reason why I have been staying away from audiobooks is because I thought, you know, it. I would be distracted with other things. I would have to rewind all the time and, and not get the details. But um, I I was surprised by how I was drawn into this book and the um, the narrator did an excellent job of making me believe that there were different people speaking and that I was able to put a picture in my mind of what was going on. So kudos on that. Um, the only thing I would say a little negative about the narrator is that sometimes the uh, dialogue seemed a little robotic, but um, it wasn't something very noticeable. It didn't really take away from the story. The story itself surprised me. I thought I was going to be listening to yet another murder mystery that I figured out in chapter three and knew what was going on. But uh, it took a a hard, hard left-hand turn with <laughs> the whole bizarre nature of um, uh, body switching, uh, body possession, <laughs> and and um, taking and, and murder and, and diving into that. So uh, at first I was kind of bored with it. And then like, you know, what the hell's going on? And then back to, okay, yeah, we're back to what I've already figured out. So it kind of averaged out to what I would call an interesting read. And it, they get positive points for taking a new direction on this sort of thing. And uh, overall, I enjoyed it. So I am curious. So you said they did a good job with with believing it was making you believe that it was different voices. So I assume you're referring to um, Catherine, where she's possessed by Len and how it's definitely misleading in the way that the narrator is talking about who she's talking to in the beginning. Right. That's the twist is it's not actually he. It's a she being possessed by he. So I even went back and reread those sections. I'm like, didn't they say that it was he? And then that's how they got around it was in her mind. She started really believing that it was him. So are you saying, James, that it was the same person doing Catherine and the possessed voices, but just did it in a way that it sounded like a man? Well, the the reason why I tip my cap to the narrator is that there was only one narrator that handled every single voice Mm -hmm. in the book. 
So in addition to the difficult task of her husband in a woman's body type conversation, um, she had she had the the main character, the character's mother, sister, the uh, the neighbors, all that stuff. And it was very subtle differences in her voice during the dialogue that made me believe, okay, this, this is a different person talking, mm-hmm. which I can <laughs> I can imagine doing it myself. It was. I think it was very, uh, very well done. This person obviously does this for a living and did, and did a pretty good job. Well, I disliked this book. <laughs> it was well written. Like that was not the issue, you know, but I hated the plot. And when that possession twist hit at the 70% mark, according to my Kindle, I literally, I closed the book. I was standing in line for the ferry and I shut it and I just looked around as if waiting for someone else to walk up to me and be like, wasn't that weird? (laughs) Because it was so out of the blue. I mean, there was no hint in the first 70% of the book that there was anything supernatural at all in this world. And then it hits and we're supposed to just be like, ah, yes, of course, a ghost was in the lake and got into her body when she almost died. It happens all the time. I was just, I, the rest of the book, I could not handle it. But even before that, I didn't like the book because it hits my least favorite trope, which is alcoholic woman thinks she sees a murder and gets involved. (laughs) Yes. No, I agree exactly with all those points you made. Like that was the first note I made on this book was, oh, another unreliable narrator who's not going to be believed because she's an alcoholic. Like that's just like all of like the 2000 and 2010 mystery thriller novels with a female narrator. Um, So totally I was hoping for a twist that wasn't around that. Not the twist that I thought we were going to get, um, but I I agree. I think like there was like the very subtle like, oh, weird things happen on this lake from the neighbor who, you know, lived there forever. But that's not enough for me to like set you up. Like you don't want it to be so obvious. But yeah, you're right. There has to be like something else like in that world. Um, I've never read any other books by this author, but apparently this author is known for kind of throwing in some paranormal things I saw that in some of the other reviews I looked up after I finished so I'm like okay well I guess if you know the author you kind of have an idea that something like this could happen but being completely new to the author it was so out of nowhere that I thought that it was going to be them trying to play a trick on um Casey or something like I didn't believe that this possession thing was going to be real and then the rules around the possession were like really weird and like like somehow they knew like oh if you like kill him in the lake he's going to be trapped there again so then she kills him in the lake I'm like that makes no sense why would you take him to the lake and then kill him in the lake if this has been established as the thing and then immediately comes back and then possesses someone again super fast like way faster than the first time they're like oh yeah he knows what he's doing this time (laughs) like i I don't know it it was it was a lot to digest in the last like five percent of the book well for for all the reasons that kate hates the book i uh, the first part of the book i was really set to give it like a you know a very low rating because Everything was figured out. Everything was, you know, I mean, even though 
they did a good job with the narration and stuff like that. I had already figured out what was going to happen and who had done what. But this saved it from being just a really poor book to like an average book. I mean, I don't I don't hate the book, but I think I was saved from a yawn fest with the whole out of left field, supernatural, crazy stuff. And it and that's the only thing that kept me interested in wanting to listen to what was happening next. I mean, did did we all know that Len was the serial killer long before it was revealed? Yeah, come on. <laughs> yes, I didn't, we... actually. I didn't think about it. I knew that it wasn't going to be Tom, Catherine's right. husband, because it's never the person that's like at the forefront. I thought it was going to be the one, the other neighbor, or it was going to be Casey somehow because she's an unreliable narrator she doesn't remember she blocked out and oops i killed three girls well like i think <laughs> uh, most authors go with real life and how many female serial killers are there they they're they're really vastly outnumbered by men which i don't know if it's that's a b2 thing that they discuss in their meetings say we need some more female serial killers but um you know when you look at once you discover that there's a serial killer issue in the book, who are your candidates? You know, and you're you're backed into a corner. It had to be basically Lynn, because in my mind, the way the way Boone was done as a cop, you know, and the whole whole thing, it just it just would not work as far as him being a serial killer. It just would not, especially with his relationship with Wilma and all that stuff. I, I don't I was backed into the obvious choice as far as the serial killer. I mean, there was no escaping it. I, I will say, to be fair, we only know about more male serial killers, but there could easily be female serial killers that are just better at not getting caught. <laughs> <laughs> All the masterminds. Um, yeah. But also, uh, I also definitely for sure knew that Casey killed her husband when it was like, I, I black out. I don't like to think about it. I'm like, because you murdered him. Like page five, the first time she mentioned it, I was like, she she killed him. <laughs> so what did you think about Boone? Because I never trusted him. Also, I thought he was a really bad cop because he seemed clueless when they were talking to Wilma. And I don't know if it was him trying to be like, mm, I don't I don't know. But but he was asking her questions about like, oh, what's the procedure for this? It's like, shouldn't you know? Wasn't this your job? Like, you should know somewhat about like what you should be doing in a situation like this. Like, what's appropriate or not appropriate? Just because you're no longer a cop doesn't mean you forget standard procedure for things. It was just kind of weird and that made me not trust him like was he not really a cop or was he just really bad at his job I don't know and then the whole thing with his wife like I think it do you feel like it still kind of left it open that he could still be responsible for it or you feel like you truly believe that it that he didn't kill his wife well I think I mean Boone comes across as squeaky clean so I I don't think there's any doubt that his his wife took you know her own life. I I guess I wasn't paying attention when he was showing incompetence as a cop because I don't re- I, what I do remember him is berating Casey for you know sh- telling her stuff is going to be inadmissible and stuff like that. But I guess I missed the part when he was uh, asking Wilma about procedures he should have known. I figured he was just kind of a bad cop, not not bad cop. But like an incompetent cop, I guess I believe that his wife killed herself and that he didn't kill her. Would I hang out with him? No. <laughs> Even after that whole scene on the dock? I'm going to be honest. I don't remember that. Really? It didn't make a big impression. 
Oh, okay. Maybe it's different than audio because, I mean, she made it sound like, you know, Adonis was out there on the dock. Oh, when he was like naked and outside? The, yeah. The she time was, she was you know, spying on him? Exactly. Uh, at that point, creepy. I was... Yes. So creepy. And I was already so mad at her for spying on everyone already and like getting involved in things she just didn't need to be involved in. I was already so pissed at this character. I was like, look away from him. He is having a private moment, ma'am. Instead of being like, yes. (laughs) And she's like, he knows that I'm watching. Like, (laughs) yeah, if if it had been a man looking at a woman, people would find it really creepy. And I still find it really creepy that she's gazing at him like that without him knowing regardless of him being in a spot where he could maybe be seen he's he's on his property but yeah i don't know what it is about people in books that think they have binoculars and they could just like look in people's windows and it's like not a big deal (laughs) (laughs) well they did kind of convenient in that story that the other house was like mostly glass and you know easily to look in through the windows but I got a question for you two ladies. So there's a reference to, there's more than one reference to Rear Window, which is a movie that immediately came to mind when this plot started to develop. You know, it was just a kind of a ripoff of that movie. Had you guys seen that movie ever? Mm-mm. Nope. Well, it was done originally with Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly. And it's basically the same circumstances. And they redid it with Christopher Reeve after he had gotten, after he had injured himself and gotten into the wheelchair. And, you know, because um, he was in the wheelchair looking across at his neighbors and, and witness, witnesses this freaky stuff. And, you know, did this guy's wife get murdered, whatever. And um, I think that if you saw that classic movie and how well it was done, I don't know if it'll change your rating of this book at all, but it might give you a clue. You might be a little bit more forgiving of Casey, maybe a little, because the actual movie was very well done. Was there a possession? (laughs) No. I feel like that changes things, though. It it does. I'm sure it does. But when you when you talk about how, you know, Kate was saying how she was pissed off at Casey for even looking at her neighbors and the thing, then um yeah, I think it relieves some of that. It doesn't, there's no forgiveness for the whole possession thing. The supernatural, there's no forgiveness for that by watching this movie. But um, yeah, we're talking about something like 1962 or, or something like that. They're not gonna throw possession in there, even though it was Hitchcock. This is a Hitchcock movie. Yeah, there's a, a Netflix show. I thought it was a movie, but it's a show with uh, Kristen Bell, and it's called like the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window, and it's clearly satirizing this type of you know alcoholic voyeur. <laughs> uh, and I watched the first episode because I thought it was a movie, and uh, it's it's like darkly funny, but it it covers this sort of thing, staring in other people's windows, and it's especially funny because the houses are so far apart. And they're like making eye contact through these windows. And I'm like, why do all these people have better vision than I do with my glasses on? Like if I made eye contact with my neighbor in their house across the way, which is much closer, I don't know if I would know that I was making eye contact. (laughs) Yeah. And there's always the argument when you talk about a show like that and and you got to take it to heart a little bit. If you don't want people looking in on your stuff, that's what that's what shades are for. (laughs) That's why you. You, that's why you turn the light out. <laughs> you know, if you're going to be doing questionable stuff in your house, and I'm not saying that ex- that does not excuse people from peeping in, you know, and looking at things they shouldn't look at. 
But on your, there's a little bit of an onus on your part. If you don't want somebody to, to see you, you know, cutting your toenails in your bedroom, <laughs> you pull the shade. Well, I don't know. It's like sometimes you don't even think about it when you're just in your house. Like at my old house, when we bought it, we renovated the whole place. And so it's like you slowly get things put back and like curtains were one of the last things that we did. And our friends that lived in the neighborhood, like we weren't friends with them when we first moved in. We like met them and start to get to know them. And then as we started to get to know them better, they would like text us like things that they saw us doing. Like we're like, oh, we see you like watching the show or whatever through your window. And we're like, okay, we need to get those curtains put up <laughs> now. But you just like don't even think about it. You just get like in your routine of like, okay, whatever. We're just in the living room. We're not doing anything weird. But like people are watching you and that's kind of weird. So that was a good reminder that, okay, every room needs curtains. Curtains, even if it's just your living room <laughs> and now I live more in the country I'm like yeah I probably still need some curtains even though my neighbors are very very far away if they had binoculars they probably could see it <laughs> so time jump we had a time jump and that's always a hit or miss in in books so how do you feel about the time jump especially because we kind of talked about that part a little bit how it was the reveal of the possession and who she had tied up so it was kind of unclear clear what was going on in those scenes initially it was just a I was talking to him and then we find out that it's actually Catherine being possessed so that's the him so did you feel like that helped make it more interesting or was it kind of a cop-out because it was they were trying so hard to make it seem like it was Tom the whole time. I'm going to let Kate go first. Um, I I knew it was a strategy by the author to make the beginning more interesting because of how slow the build was. And so I was like, it's not going to be who I think it is. I'm just mm-hmm. going to wait and they're going to tell me. <laughs> so it was, I, I knew the mechanics too much to be drawn into it, I think. Okay. Well, my two cents is that in this book, it was overused. I think that there was, you know, too much of it going back and forth. And I understand that there was the heavy task of trying to get, trying to, trying to get the reader to wrap their mind around the whole man and a woman's body thing. But it was, it was just too much. After the, the first couple of times, I, you know, it, the first, the very first time it kind of held my interest. Okay. So what's happening next? How did she get him in the bed? How'd she get him tied up and everything? Cause we're talking about, and this is going to sound a little sexist, but we're talking about, uh, a, a, maybe middle-aged alcoholic, you know, she's got a real bourbon problem, okay? But she manages to get this guy tied in the bed. You know, how did that happen? And you kind of want to see, you know, the process of how that happened. But, you know, as you went along, and especially the the poor cop-out of, okay, he's actually in a woman's body and, and all that jazz, and somebody else basically tied her up first, did all the heavy lifting for her. You know, it's, I thought it was, that was kind of weak, and that the time jump was kind of overdone. And it's always very weird to me. I mean, possessions are weird in general, but when it's a guy in a woman's body, it's extra weird. And then have you read um, The Lovely Bones? No. It was technically like a young adult book. And I remember reading it when I was like a kid. And this girl like 
she's a ghost and she ends up like possessing this body and then she possesses a lesbian's body and then has sex with a man while in this lesbian body so ever since then i'm like super like horrified by like by possession stories like oh gosh like how far are they gonna take this especially with the with it being a man and a woman's body and like it's just did the lesbian's body burst into flames when she had sex with the the guy well she eventually came back to her body so it just feels like she basically raped this woman she's like in her body by like having her have sex with this guy i don't know it was just weird and in a young like a young adult like kids book it was just very weird and off-putting uh but it's like seen as like one of this like really like outstanding like young adult lit books (laughs) like coming of age like i don't know but that was also like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, it came out. Um, so I was really worried about where they were going with that. Um, and then we had later the other, like the second twist of Tom was actually a bad guy after all that. So I don't know, it just felt like too much in that last, that last little bit where it's like, okay, nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay, here's this major twist, which makes it more interesting to talk about than the formulaic nature of the rest of the book. Um, and then we had that twist. And then the other trope that I really hate in mystery books is where they always have really lame excuses why they can't just get the cops involved, why they can't just call the cops. But there's always like really lame excuses. Like, no, this all would have been resolved if you had just called the cops and they had looked into it. Maybe not the possession. They might not have figured that out. They would have thought, you know, she was just crazy (laughs) and locked her up somewhere. But I I got a question for Kate. So... What you're calling the, Amber, what you're calling the twist at the end as far as, you know, Tom really being the bad guy, for me, was just a pinch because I had figured out that he had, you know, he was trying to kill his wife from, you know, from the the time that the wine bottle was broken, you know, so um I wonder if Kate was, was, did she see it as a twist at the end when we found out that Tom is a murdering bastard? No. <laughs> uh, I am 100% with you. When that got broken with the, like the glass with the residue, I was instantly like, that's some sort of poison or a drug. Like that's coming back. And then it did. And I was like, boom, you know, yeah. <laughs> got him. Every, every dude in this book is, I guess, either murderous or incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should. The author should have done a, a way better job in concealing Tom, at least as a murderer. And, and I think she had a clear path to do that. But as soon as you mentioned residue on the inside of a wine bottle, I said, oh, my goodness. So and I knew she was going to end up digging in the trash to get that out and put in an evidence bag. Yep. See, I didn't think it would be because it was so obvious. So then, she, then they got me at the end because it did end up being him. Like, it's not going to be him. It's going to be, you know, someone else trying to poison her or her doing it to herself or, you know, some sort of twist like that. You're assuming that the story is going to be well done. <laughs> well, that's always the hope, right? <laughs> you read a book that it's going gonna, it's gonna to make some sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just can't get past the possession and the inconsistent rules about the possession and the big plan to kill him in the water. Like, I get that she was trying to lure him out there so he could show her where the bodies were. But then why kill him right there? Knowing that he would come back. Was that part of the plan? What if she killed him in the boat and he didn't die in the water? Would that still count? <laughs> Yeah, I think if, yeah, I think if you die on land, not in the lake, the like evil ghost, isn't that 
how they got rid of him in the end eventually? Well, here's here's the thing. Um, and it's I I admit it's complicated. Her plan was to be out there, just her and him, and she was planning on, you know, letting him possess her and she drown out there, and then there's he has nobody else to go into. Which is kind of, which is a plan that sucks. So the next person that, you know, drowns out there has an accident or something like that. They're just going to be possessed by this guy. So it's, it was, it was mapped out as to be this huge sacrifice that she's doing, but it wasn't well thought out. I don't think, you know, it just, you're, you're just delaying the inevitable. And, um, yeah, the uh, the idea of well, he has to die on land. It's like she just made that up in her head and knew it was going to work. <laughs> I was shocked that I, I don't know if she took the course in college or something like that about <laughs> possessions. But uh, if she just came up with that all by herself, that was kind of weak. Yeah, and and if she with him inside of her drowned, she would also be a lake ghost demon thing and could also possess other people. And this could just keep going between the two of them. Like if they each got to possess somebody or if they both possess somebody and then, you know, <laughs> three's a crowd, you know? <laughs> wow. That's a mess. You have one person gets possessed and become a serial killer and the other person gets possessed and have to stop the serial killer and all that stuff. So was, so I don't remember. Why was it him that was able to do it and not like, why couldn't the other girls that died in the water possess people? Like, why was he the lucky one? I think they didn't drown or they didn't drown in that lake. Oh, he that's dumped true. him there. Yep, yeah, that's just where he dumped him. So are there other people who had drowned in the lake that were possessing people? I think not. We need a special edition of our podcast <laughs> with the author on the hot seat saying, what the Explain hell were you thinking? yourself. <laughs> the lake could have been like that guy and then a bunch of really ancient people who had lived there before, like Europeans colonized it. Like a bunch of, you know. Yeah, like I'm sure at some point somebody else had drowned in there. Yeah. Well, the one thing that they did get right was the whole explanation of in like the Middle Ages and that sort of thing. They they thought that um, bodies of water can trap souls and stuff like that. So because Tol- Tolkien actually used that in you know his stories too, and it was a a fairly I mean it was a superstition of course, but it was something that was you know fairly commonly used in lore and literature. So and they, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, the author didn't make that up just for that book. That was really a thing. So now that we've ripped this book apart, (laughs) is there anything redeeming about it? Well, you know, like I said initially, I mean, this book was saved from being awful to not awful. (laughs) There's a sliding scale. It's not a a great book, but it it made me kind of enjoy to read more than I was anticipating because I was really anticipating a chore of... How are we going to get, you know, we got to get to this end of this thing that I already know. But I was um, entertained by this left turn of possession and supernatural stuff and the action scenes of, you know, having somebody tied up and having to transfer a tied up person. <laughs> you know, how how do you do that? I got a lesson in how to do that. So um, it was um, more entertaining than I was anticipating after chapter three. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was far from the worst book I read in 2022. But it was also far from the best. It was, you know, the the pacing was pretty good. Uh, I was never sitting there going, I'm bored. When's the next thing happening? It wasn't racist or terribly sexist. So that was good. And the writing was clean. Wasn't distracted by bad habits that some people have in writing. So 
It was it was fine. If I <laughs> bought it at an airport to read on a plane, I'd be like, all right, this wasn't the worst purchase I could make, you know. But eh. well, I I just want to I just want to dovetail on something that Kate said as far as the bad habits. The only thing that I have as a criticism in this book, as far as a bad habit, is one she made the main character count off two things. For for a bunch of situations, and two that she did it too often. She always said one such and such and such, two such and such. You know, and that happened too often for for my taste. I love that you gave it as an example as you explained it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Kate, I have to ask, what was your favorite book of 2022? Then, Ooh, give me a minute to pull up my list of books I read in 2022. I'm sure there will be one standout. Ooh. Uh, I really liked the Kaiju Preservation Society by John Scalzi. I really liked the the Jade City series by Fonda Lee. Read the whole thing. Uh, Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. Love Rebecca Roanhorse. We read one of her books for one of the podcasts. Yeah, we did. Two of them. Two of them. Yes, we read the That's sequel. Right. Yeah, so I'd say those were uh, those were my top books for the year. Um, so strong female. Did we get that? <laughs> did, did we at least get that in this book? I cringe. I cringe at that question. Um, the, the only, I think the only chance for a strong female would be Wilma, but we didn't get to develop her very much. So, um, I don't have to say no, not really. I mean, <laughs> she technically has agency, right? Like Casey makes a lot of bad choices, but they are choices. Things aren't <laughs> only happening to her. She does a lot of it to herself as well. <laughs> so technically she meets that criteria, but she also just kind of lacks something that makes me like her, which I know not every female character has to be likable. But a protagonist has to be someone I root for. And the whole time I was like, this girl needs to just go home and be boring for a little while. Like, that's what's best for her. She has no business here. So technically strong because she had agency, but uh, just uh, otherwise, no. Yeah, she felt kind of flat for me. Felt just like your stereotypical, unreliable narrator, alcoholic, nosy neighbor. But I mean, she did really seem to care about what happened to Catherine and fought Catherine body. (laughs) She did kill her husband because she found out that he was a serial killer. So yeah, I mean, she did make a lot of moves trying to protect other women. So that was strong of her. Uh, I I, I respectfully disagree because of the... The problem that she had with herself when she discovered her husband was a serial killer, she, you know, she cheated all those families out of any kind of closure or resolution mm-hmm. by killing her husband and keeping it quiet. And she, I mean, she hated that about herself. The The book revealed too many weaknesses in that character to say strong character. She was weak because of the alcoholism, because she couldn't handle what she did. She did the wrong thing in the first place instead of turning her husband in like she was supposed to. That was a selfish act because of her, her own anger and quest for vengeance. So I, she doesn't win any strong points with me. That's a good point. Yeah. She did try to send the letters. Yeah. Try to get the bodies found. <laughs> Written in her left hand. <laughs> a right-handed person with a left hand. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So what what would you rate it out of five? <sighs> It started out as a one and a half. And, <laughs> and I think it, I think because of the twist, I'm not, well, the one twist, the whole supernatural thing, 
but at all the way up to two and a half stars. I'm I'm gonna round down to two stars. Uh it was well written from a technical aspect, but I hated the tropes that were used, and I really hated the paranormal twist. I didn't like the character. So the only redeeming thing was that it was readable in in a, a very uh, technical sense. <laughs> well, I rated it a three just because it was enjoyable to read. I read it pretty quickly. It surprised me. <laughs> Sometimes that in itself is a good thing, whether I agreed with the surprise or not. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't read it again. I probably wouldn't recommend it to somebody else, but it was worth the read. It was interesting. The possession made it different from other <laughs> similar books, uh, other window across the lake in a house in a cabin in the woods. So yeah, it was average. Amber, I cannot understand why you would not voted Mrs. Softy when we did our stats. <laughs> this is an example of what I was made me predict that because you gave you gave this book a passing grade. I know. <laughs> I don't understand it either. <laughs> You're too nice. <laughs> I know. Tell that to my students. <laughs> Like a 98, you're the meanest person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> what can you do? So our next book will be Reminders of Him by Colleen Hoover. So we're taking on the infamous Colleen Hoover. So read the book, join in on the discussion for next time. It'll be perfect for, you know, the season of love with Valentine's coming up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let us know what you think of this book and make sure to check out our previous podcasts to see what other books we've read and discussed and reach out to us if you want to discuss it further. Thanks for listening to the Judging More Than Just the Cover podcast. I'm Amber Gregg. Join us next month to see what we thought of another best-selling book with a strong female main character. The chat doesn't end here. Let us know your thoughts in the comment area or connect with us on social media. Enjoyed the show? Share the love. Give us a review, like, follow, and a share with your friends. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace out.